Okay, let's pray, and we will dig into God's word this morning. What a rich time we've had, Lord, worshiping you, coming before the cross, thanking you for not just the forgiveness we have freely through faith in Christ, but for the new hearts that you also give us through faith in Christ, and that that heart changes us so we love others. And what a salvation you've given to us. Thank you for what we've been learning about salvation through this book of Hebrews. And I pray, Lord, that once again you would come and help me. Give me your heart. Give me your love. Give me your wisdom. And open our hearts to what you want to say to us as individuals through this passage today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are coming to the end, close to the end of our series on Hebrews. And today we start Hebrews chapter 13, which is the last chapter. So let's turn there, Hebrews chapter 13. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and we will bring one to you so that you can look on. Hebrews 13 is on page 1009 in these Bibles we're passing out right now. I want you to all have a Bible in front of you. The Bible is the Word of God. The very words of our Creator are in this book given to us. God has not left us in the dark about who he is, what, how we can be forgiven by him and reconciled to him. And so we love the Bible here at Mercy Hill Church. And I'm loving the book of Hebrews. This has been very powerful for me. Now, you've all heard the phrase, I imagine, about somebody who can't see the forest for the trees. Everybody heard that phrase? Okay, anyway, I have. And there's truth to that statement. And because there's wonderful beauty in coming up close and seeing individual trees, right? Colors and design and variety. There's great beauty displayed when you see individual trees. But there's also amazing beauty when you step back and are able to look and see a whole panoply of trees, like a whole forest of trees. And so the point is, don't just notice individual trees, There's wonderful beauty there. Also be sure to see the forest that all those trees make up together and the the glory of that. Now, here's why I say that. That's also true in Bible study. Because when we study the Bible, we focus on, we start with individual trees, individual verses, right? Start with verse 1, chapter 1, and start reading, and then chapter 2. So we see the beauty and the majesty, and the glory of who Jesus Christ is in each individual verse. And that's very powerful to do. But that's not all that we do, because it's good to step back and to see the the forest of all of these verses, all of these trees, if you will, the, the glory that's displayed in an author's whole train of thought of what he's saying to us and get the panoramic picture. And so this morning, because we're starting the last chapter in the book of Hebrews, I thought it would be really helpful to start and kind of sit back and see the forest that we've seen so far, leading us up to this point. So you've got the picture in your in your notes there. We're going to get it up here in just a second. Boom, there. Nope. Did I not put it in the slides? It's in your, it's in your sheets. I forgot to put it in the slides. So it's, you all see it on your orange sheet, the little, the little arc things? I hope so. My apologies. So let's walk through that. Here's the big forest picture of the book of Hebrews up to this point. So in chapter 1, all the way through chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and halfway through chapter 10, 
the author has his eyes focused and wants to have our eyes be focused on Jesus Christ, who he says is the Son of God, who came into the world 2,000 years ago, fully man and fully God, and he lived amongst us, and he obeyed God perfectly, and he died on the cross. And so because of what Jesus has done 2,000 years ago, he has conquered the power of death, he has become the perfect high priest for us with the perfect sacrifice so that all of our sins can be forgiven. And because he obeyed the Father and was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Oh man, we could talk a lot about that. Okay, so that's the first ten and a half chapters who Jesus Christ is to us. What he did 2,000 years ago, who he is to us now. And then... In the rest of chapter 10, he says, Therefore, because of who Jesus Christ is, draw near to God through Jesus. Have you been drawing near to God? Have you been meeting the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ? Draw near to God through Jesus. He says, encourage each other to be trusting God's promises. He says, cling to God's word, cling to God's promises. And he says, uh, what's the last one? I forgot. Stir up faith in him as our better possession. He's our better and our abiding possession, so stir up faith in God through Jesus Christ as our better and abiding possession. So that's chapter 1 all the way through the end of chapter 10. Then chapter 11. Therefore, here's why it's so crucial that we stir up faith. Believers stir up faith. We don't stir up willpower. We don't stir up virtue. We don't stir up morality. All those come as a result of stirring up Faith. So why stir up faith? Chapter 11. It's because without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's because faith is the only way that we will see God's miracle working power. It's because faith is the only way to obey God. Faith is the only way to endure trials and sufferings that believers do go through in this life. That's why faith is so crucial, and that's why we stir up faith. That's chapter 11. Why faith is so crucial. Then chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. Therefore, because of how crucial faith is, run the race of faith in Jesus Christ. And to do that, lay aside the encumbrances, lay aside the weights, lay aside sin. That's verses 1 through 17 of chapter 12. And then in verses 18 through 29, chapter 12, here's why we ought to lay aside sin, lay aside the encumbrances. It's because the salvation that we receive when we lay those things aside and trust Christ is unshakable, and it's infinitely valuable, far more precious to us than any sin we could hold to. And then chapter 13, he brings us to this huge conclusion. And chapter 13 is full of commands, full of specific instructions. So this is the big therefore to the first 12 chapters. And today we'll focus on verses 1 through 3. So look at where he starts in the big therefore from chapters 1 through 12. Therefore, verse 1, let brotherly Love, continue. Verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them. And remember those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. So he starts by telling us, let brotherly love 
continue. And what that means is that brotherly love will not continue left if you just leave it alone. We've got to put effort in to keep brotherly love continue. So, how? He calls us to have brotherly, sisterly, it's a generic word, brotherly and sisterly love here. How do we let that continue? Now, to answer that, we've got to be clear on what is brotherly love? Now, as you know, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the most common word for love in the Greek is the word agape. It's the most common word used dozens and dozens and dozens of times. This word is not the word agape. This is the word philadelphia. And it's made from two words, the word phila, phileo, which is the word affection, and the word adelphia, which is brother or sister. Okay? So this is describing, and it's used in the New Testament to describe a feeling of affection that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, to give an example of this or an illustration of what this looks like. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, page 986. See, we are called to have agape love, care and compassion for everyone. Believers, those who are not yet believers, our enemies, agape love, care and compassion for everyone. We're called to have phileo love, this affection, Philadelphia, for fellow believers, brothers and sisters. And here's a beautiful illustration in Paul's life of what that brotherly love, sisterly love looks like. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. You all there? Page 986 in the Bibles we passed out. Here he reminds the Thessalonians how he felt about them, and look at what he says. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. That's a perfect description of brotherly love. First of all, Paul felt affection for them. And he desired to be with them. He was affectionately desirous. There was affection and he desired to be with them. And they had become very dear to him. That's brotherly love. Feel affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We desire to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And our brothers and sisters in Christ are very dear to us. Now, back to Hebrews 13 then, okay? Back to Hebrews 13, page 1009 in those Bibles. So we're called to let brotherly love continue. That is, put energy into maintaining, continuing in brotherly love. So how do we do that? How do we do that? And to, to explain that, let me give you an illust- illustration. First of all, think, think of how affection works in, in our hearts. The people that you feel the most affection for are those who share your greatest joys. The people you feel the most affection for are the people who share your greatest joy. Now, here's why. Because you have this joy in common, you love to spend time with them because when you do, they increase your greatest joy, you increase their greatest joy, and so you feel affection for them. You, you desire to spend time with them. They're very dear to you because when you spend time with them, your joy is increased. Example. Uh, take it out of the spiritual realm. Let's say that your greatest joy is the for, really is like the 49ers, okay? This is your greatest joy, 49ers. You love 
the 49ers. You know all about the 49ers, all the stats. You read all the blogs about the 49ers. You watch every game. You listen to the talk shows ahead of time and afterwards. You're like just a 49ers animal. Okay? Now, what would happen to you? I mean, just put yourself in that mode. Okay? Ladies, bear with us here. All right? Raiders fans, sorry. Okay. So put yourself in this mode. What would happen to you if you met somebody else who loved the 49ers? What would happen? Okay, well, when you spend time together, it's like sparks start to go. Like They might show you, have you read this blog about the 49ers? No way, I've never heard about that one. That's awesome, you know. Or, or you know, did, did you know this about Colin Kaepernick? No, I didn't know that about him. And so you're increasing each other's greatest joy. And so because of that, there would be affection. You would desire to be with this person. This person would be very dear to you. Do you see how that works? You're not, don't look like you're convinced. We didn't, I should have thought, what's the better example? No 49ers fans here, okay. But, but, what would happen if, if you changed and became a Raiders fan? What would happen to your affection for this person? No, seriously. Can you feel it? What would happen to your affection for this person? You love the Raiders, but whenever you're with them, there's like a 49ers this and 49ers that, right? And so it's like, ah, you're just not feeling that affection anymore. Do you desire to be with them as much? Eh, no. Are they very dear to you? Uh, not as much. Are you with me? This is how affection works between people. And it's how, it's how it works in the body of Christ. So here, here's what happens. Following Jesus Christ means... Like Paul said in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ. Your joy is knowing Jesus Christ. He is your refuge. He is your comfort. He is your portion. He is your prize. He is your all-satisfying joy. He's your savior. He's your redeemer. He's the author and perfecter of your faith, like Phil was talking about this morning. Jesus Christ is your greatest joy. And so when you meet someone else who shares your joy in Jesus Christ, that increases your joy. Maybe they share with you a promise you hadn't seen before. Look at what Jesus promises to be to us. Oh, I've never seen it. That's awesome. Your joy increases. Maybe you share with them ways Jesus Christ has been working in your heart. And, and they rejoice. Oh, that's awesome. And then seeing their joy in Jesus makes your joy increase even more. And so spending time with them increases your greatest joy, which is why you then have affection for them and why you desire to spend time with them and why they become very dear to you. So that's how it works. That's, that's brotherly love. That's sisterly love. Now, why do we need to work on, on having that be continuing? It's because sin happens. Okay? Sin happens. What if you, your joy was in Jesus Christ, who's your greatest joy, what if instead you started thinking, man, what I really want is I want to be like the leader of the Mercy Hill Nursery Ministry. Okay, that's what I really because I could do that. Now we don't have any. We don't have this position here. I don't, we don't really have this. So I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this for any political reasons. Okay, we don't have that position. Just an example. Like what I really want is I want to be the leader of the Mercy Hill Nursery Ministry because I could do that, and that that would like give me a place here and give me significance and meaning, and and people would like be looking up to me, and and so your greatest joy starts to become being the chief nursery 
leader worker at Mercy Hill Church. So what would happen if that was your greatest joy? And then what would happen if your friend was chosen to be the leader of the Mercy Hill Church nursery team? So your greatest joy is to be that, and they get chosen to be that. And so what happens when you get together? Pain. You're going to feel pain. Okay, because now they're not bringing you your greatest joy. Now they're reminding you that you don't have your greatest joy, and there's pain there. Now, you've experienced this, though. Maybe not about the nursery, but haven't you experienced this kind of lessening of affection for people for various reasons? Hello? Anybody experienced that? What makes your affection for a a fellow believer diminish? That's what it is. So, your greatest joy is to become the nursery worker, and you no longer feel affection for this other believer, and you don't really want to spend time with them, and they're not very dear to you anymore. And, And the author of Hebrews, with great love in his eyes, will look at you and say, let brotherly, sisterly love continue. Let it continue. How would you let it continue? You would turn your heart from being the lead nursery worker and you would turn your heart back to Jesus Christ as your life, as your joy, as your all-satisfying treasure. And then this other person being the lead nursery person wouldn't matter. Wouldn't matter. Because your greatest joy is not that. Your greatest joy is Jesus Christ, and because you're back to seeking Jesus Christ as your joy, you once again would feel affection for them, because that's their greatest joy, too. And you would desire to spend time with them, and they'd become very dear to you. Okay, so so think about the brothers and sisters around you. Think about those in your in your home group. Do you feel affection for them? Do you? Do you desire? To, to be with them? Do you desire to spend time with them? Is your heart drawn towards being with them? Are they very dear to you? Think about home group people, think about just brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Is there affection there? Do you desire to be with them? Are they very dear to you? If not, it's because something has taken the place of Jesus Christ in your heart. Probably. I say probably because it could be that Something has taken the place of Jesus Christ in their heart, and, and there's, there's, there's a feeling of pain there. Okay, but we're focusing on what we can do to let brotherly love continue, so we're going to focus on, let's assume it's our issue. So the way to have brotherly affection continue then would be to turn your heart back to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I'm back. You're my prize. You're my love. You're my joy. You're my portion. You're my all-satisfying treasure. And as you turn your heart back, then you will feel affection for all those in the body of Christ whose hearts are in that same place. And see, this is beautiful because this this is how an 11-year-old in a home group and a 50-year-old in a home group can love each other with brotherly love. This is how, okay? This is how racial animosity is overcome in the body of Christ. This is how socioeconomic divisions are overcome in the body of Christ. This is how, what it might be, age and race and socioeconomic and just, this is, this is how God brings diverse people together in the body of Christ and they have affection for each other. They desire to spend time together. They are very dear to each other. And this kind of love 
where they have that in their hearts for each other, will be so astonishing, Jesus says, to the world, that the world will know, Jesus came. Look at this love that's here. This, is, this is not, does not happen. This kind of affection, this kind of care, this kind of love just does not happen. So, that's what the author of Hebrews says, let brotherly, sisterly love continue. That's verse 1. Then the author turns from brotherly affection to hospitality. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Okay, what is hospitality and, and why should we pursue it? Okay, The word hospitality refers to having people who are not part of your household into your house. Okay? People who are not part of your household, having them into your house. I know that the word strangers is here. That's the point of that word strangers. They're not part of your household. So this can refer to believers. This can refer to unbelievers, but as people that are not part of your household, having them into your home. And when you read through the New Testament, if you start saying, let's see how many times I see the word hospitality in the New Testament, it's clear that Jesus calls every one of his followers, open up your home to people who are not part of your household. Be hospitable. Romans 12, Paul says, seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And hospitality is so important that it's a requirement for elders. It's one of the ways we know somebody's qualified to be an elder. They're hospitable. They have people who are not part of their immediate household into their homes. So we're called to show hospitality. Now, what would this look like? Try to think of some examples just to maybe let the Holy Spirit stir our hearts. Like maybe a neighbor is having their house tented, and you offer instead of having to go out and you know get a hotel, hey, why don't you just come and stay with us a couple nights? That's what the ships did for us a couple years ago. Okay, so maybe a neighbor is having their home tented, and just hey, come come stay with us. That's hospitality. Okay, maybe you um, hear about a missionary traveling through uh, San Jose. And instead of having them you know, have to spend the money on a hotel, just say, hey, why don't you come stay, stay overnight with us and you can be on your way the next morning. It's hospitality. Maybe there's um, a single parent or a widow in your uh, neighborhood and you could invite them to, hey, come over for dinner. Let's have dinner together. Maybe just because of the brotherly affection in your heart, you invite some folks from your home group over to your house for dinners to break bread together, to enjoy God's gifts of food and God's gifts of, of friends and just a way just to celebrate who the Lord is. That, that's hospitality. So all kinds of ways. Now see, this is not part of our culture very much. This is very much part of, of the, the ancient Near Eastern culture. I'll never forget being in Morocco years back and with some, some guys from the church here, we went up to this little house up on top of a hill, and the, the, uh, the, the father was outside the house, and he saw us and smiled, and he said, come in! Okay, and so he brought us in, and he gave us tea, and he gave us nuts and little candies to eat. That's, that's very much part of their culture. But if somebody comes and knocks on your door, how often would you say, come in, hon, get the tea, pull out the nuts? You know, it's, just, it's, not, it's not really part of our culture, right? Okay, but when you read the New Testament, you'll see this is not a cultural thing. Every follower of Jesus is called to love people, our brothers and sisters and others, and open up our homes to those who are not part of our immediate household. 
Now, there's lots of reasons, though, why we don't like to do hospitality, okay? Hospitality can take hard work, right? It can be inconvenient, right? It can disrupt the rhythm of your, your family, your home, right? It can, it can be expensive. It can be uncomfortable. What will we talk about if we have more for dinner? You know, right? There's all kinds of reasons hospitality is hard. So can we just all acknowledge that? Is hospitality hard? Maybe, maybe for some than, more than for others. Anyway, okay, so what will motivate us then to be hospitable? Jesus calls us to show hospitality. What will motivate us? One thing that motivates us is he promises in Second uh, in Corinthians that he will give us grace for whatever the discomfort, whatever the cost, whatever the problems are with hospitality, he will give us grace to deal with all of those negatives, if, they, if they're there. Okay, he'll give us grace for them. That's one, one motivation. He also promises in John that our love expressed in this way to, to other believers will show his glory and his truth to the world as they see our love for each other. That's motivation. He also promises in Luke 14 that as we show hospitality, this is to people who can't pay us back, we will be rewarded, mercifully rewarded for our undeserved hospitality with more joy in Jesus Christ forever. Those are some powerful motivations, okay? But the author of Hebrews doesn't use any of those motivations, He uses a motivation here that's not found anywhere else. It's absolutely fascinating. Look what he says in verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. What are angels? Angels are powerful, created, supernatural beings. We talked about them two weeks ago. Remember the, the angels, tens of thousands of them, heaven in festal celebration, celebrating our salvation. Angels are sent by God to earth to to do his bidding, to help believers, angels. And angels very often don't look like angels. And so Abraham one day, this is probably the passage the author is referring to, one day Abraham has three men come to him, thinks they're men, actually angels. He says, come on, sit down, Sarah, Bust out some food. Let's. We got some guests. Come on in, boys. You know. And so they all have a. But he doesn't know they're angels. Okay, they are actually angels. Now, I'm not sure exactly what this motivation is. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how this how this motivates us. But the author of Hebrews says this could happen as we open our homes to those who are not of our household and show hospitality. So let's do it. Okay. Now. Verse 3, remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and remember those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. What would this look like? What would it look like to remember those who are imprisoned and those who are mistreated? Now, we should have love and care and compassion for for anyone who's in prison and for anyone who's mistreated. But the focus here is on those who are in the body, fellow believers, right? So let's just focus on that. So what would it look like if we were going to remember those who were imprisoned and mistreated? Now, the church that this letter was written to had some people who'd been imprisoned for their faith. We've talked about this before. It's in chapter 10. 
it's described. And in that culture, if you were in prison, you would not be able to eat unless somebody from the outside brought you food. Wouldn't happen. You weren't fed in the prison. And so there needed to be care. And, and this church had some people who were uh, mistreated. They'd had people who'd been beaten for their faith, who'd lost possessions because of their faith, who probably lost their homes with the government not even doing anything about it. So this church had people who'd been imprisoned and mistreated for their faith. And so what should the rest of the church do? Look at, it's just amazing how he gives these commands. Verse 3, remember those who are in prison. Remember them. Don't forget about them. We know they're not there with you, but remember them as though in prison with them. So their suffering should be as real to us as if we were there with them. That's how real their suffering should be to us. It's as if we were there. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. That's some remembering. Do you feel the power of that? And then he also says, remember those who've been mistreated. And look at the reason that he gives. I can get my page here. (laughs) Since, there's the reason, you also are in the body. So you should feel their pain as if they were part of your own body that was feeling that pain. So when our brothers and sisters suffer, what he's saying is we should feel their suffering. We should feel it. It's easy to forget about it. It's easy to not think about it. Out of sight, out of mind. But the author of Hebrews says when our brothers and sisters in Christ suffer, We should feel their suffering as if it was our own. That's what he's calling us to do. Now, now here's how that works. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven for your sins, you're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you are joined into the body of Christ spiritually. There's There's a local body that you're joined to and you're joined to God's people universally. So there's a spiritual joining you with a group of people that takes place. There's a spiritual joining that happens, which means that when they suffer, you will feel their suffering as if it was your own body suffering. That's what happens. There's this transformation that takes place and part of that is that when they suffer, you will feel their suffering. Now, What would that look like here at Mercy Hill? We don't have anybody uh, in prison who's part of our body right now. Uh, We don't have anybody who's lost their homes because of their faith. But let me just describe a couple situations that we do have. We do have people who suffer uh, chronic pain from medical problems. And so what would this mean? This would mean that we feel their pain as keenly and as Really, as if it was our own body feeling that. This is what happens when, when Jesus Christ transforms your heart, when we have this brotherly, sisterly affection for each other, when others suffer, we feel their suffering as if it was our, our own. And so what would that mean? It would mean we would care about them. 
We wouldn't just forget about them to you know, be in your home suffering. We would be thinking about them. We would be praying for them. We maybe could drive them to the doctor. We would be asking them how they're doing. We would be sharing with them encouraging scriptures. Their suffering would be felt by us. We would remember, remember, remember. And it's really easy in churches for people who have medical difficulties to be forgotten. That must not happen here. We need to remember those who are suffering. That's one example. Uh, we have some in our body who are unemployed or underemployed. With all the stress and the pain and the strain and the difficulty of that. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is we should feel that difficulty as if it was our own. We should feel that. And so what would we do? Pray for them. Ask them how they're doing. Care about them. Maybe help them network. Maybe help them beef up their resume, whatever it might be. But but we should feel their suffering and their difficulty as if it was our own because we have brotherly, sisterly affection for them. We have some in our body who've lost loved ones. Great suffering. Great grief. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is that is that Jesus' heart-changing work will enable us to feel that as if it was our own grief. And so we weep with them. We mourn with them. We encourage them with God's promise of, of comfort. We hang out with them. We just be there with them. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's what Jesus' love in our hearts does. Now, this isn't just believers in our own body, though. Um, in other countries, this morning, today, there's believers who are suffering greatly. Um, in Syria, maybe you've read about this or heard about this on the news, there's Christians who are having their uh, churches destroyed, homes burned down, who are being killed. Syria's got lots and lots of problems. And there's believers, our brothers and sisters, are in that place. There's a, in, in North Korea, in the last, uh, I think it was six months, uh, Korean-American missionary has been sentenced to 15 years of hard labor, which is a horrifying prospect in, in North Korea. In Africa, a man named Mohammed El-Baladi was just recently sentenced to two and a half years in prison for evangelism. Okay, so, and, and, and the list just goes on and on. And so here, this is not people who are part of our immediate body, but these are brothers and sisters, the persecuted church around the world, Sometimes I'll just lie down as I'm going to sleep and say, Lord, I'm thinking about a, a North Korean believer who's lying on cold, hard floor tonight. Meet him. Satisfy him. Fill him. Help him. And, and that, that's the kind of thing the Lord does in, in our hearts as believers. We feel other believers' suffering as if it was our own. So what can we do for those who are in other countries? We'll pray for them is one thing, but I also put a link on your in your notes uh, from Voice of the Martyrs, which is persecution.org, persecution.org. And I would really encourage you to go on there and you will be able to read what's happening. You'll be able to read news. You'll be able to get a sense of the breadth of this problem. So you can pray more intelligently and more effectively. Pray for people by name. Um, there will be times where you can uh, send an email to people who are part of the State Department encouraging our officials to do what they can do, sometimes they can, sometimes they can't, but to do what they can do to see uh, people freed. Um, 
And then you also, I would encourage you to consider giving financially to persecution.org because it's a powerful ministry of awareness and of alert and of help when they can to the families of those who've been imprisoned and so forth. So that's verse 3. But now let's close by bringing it back home. Okay, here's, here's our body here. Notice the theme in these three verses. It's loving each other. Loving each other. Maintain brotherly affection. How is that in your heart? Show hospitality to each other. And then feel each other's sufferings as if it was your own. Now, all of this comes not from us just like trying to, to stir these things up in our heart. It all is, is an outflow of trusting Jesus Christ and the work that he does in our hearts as we put our trust in him. It's his love, his joy, his presence coming into our hearts. As we look to him, trust him, fight the fight of faith, he will pour out a spirit and the fruit of the spirit is love. It's love. This will be the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, Here's, here's what I want to call us to do this week. This week, especially focus on setting your heart on the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting him, loving him, glorifying him, learning about him, worshiping him. Put your heart upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as he works in your heart, let's continue brotherly affection. Okay, Be honest. What's happening in your heart? Let's stir that up for each other. We have affection for each other. We desire to spend time together. We're very dear to each other. Let's have each other over. Home group people, not home group people, let's have each other over. Show Christ's love. Celebrate who Jesus is. And let's, let's intentionally think who in our church body, who in my home group or outside my home group, who is suffering? Remember them. Remember them. Don't forget them. Don't forget them. Remember them because... You're part of the body together. Their suffering is your suffering. So don't forget them. Remember them. Okay, let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Lord, I pray for your power to be unleashed upon Mercy Hill Church in the fruit of the Spirit of love. Do that more powerfully and dynamically than we've ever seen before. I pray that our affection for each other would grow. I pray for any here who have had that diminishing because they have set their hearts on other things as their greatest joy. Let them see what's happened, Lord. Let them see what's taken place, I pray. Please, Father, let them see it and turn back to you. And thank you that when we turn back to you, you come running to us with all the forgiveness and grace and heart-changing power that we need. So, Lord, do that in those who have lost affection, who have no longer as much affection for their brothers and sisters. Please, Lord, let today be a turning point for them, I ask. I pray for those for whom hospitality has not been on, on their radar screen. Lord, I pray that they would hear your word clearly. Be hospitable to one another. And by the power of your spirit in their hearts right now, they would say, yes, yes. And even right now, you'd bring thoughts into their mind as to who they could have over. Neighbors, those who don't know you yet, home group, non-home group people, believers. Right now, Lord, bring thoughts into their minds right now by the work of your spirit. 
Do that, Lord. Ask him. He'll bring you, he'll bring you wisdom on that. And Lord, I pray that we would be remembering those who are suffering. Forgive us for the many times that I have and that others have forgotten about those who are suffering. Lord, don't let us do that anymore. Help us remember those who are suffering as as deeply and as feelingly as if it was our own suffering. And then help us to love and to pray and to encourage and to help in tangible ways. So Lord, put that upon us, I pray, so that your name will be praised and so that the lost will be one as they see the love that you can put in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.